We are in a week nine of a 10-week sermon series called What Would Jesus Undo? If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter five and just put your finger there for a few minutes. Ooh. Well, Christians go to church on Sunday. Okay, Christians, you know, they donate time and volunteer. They donate money to different charities and they tithe to their church. Um, they do, you know, they, they kind of go to youth group. They go to Bible studies. They go to conferences on how to improve their marriage. All these different things that we do. And all of those things are good things and they're important things. But Jesus didn't come to earth to simply give us a to-do list. Jesus came because there's some stuff in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives that he wants to undo. That he wants to remove certain things from our lives. We started the series off talking about how Jesus wants to undo unforgiveness. Now, I'm not sure if that's a real word or not. Because every time I type it, you know, it gets a little red squiggle. So I don't care if it's not a real word. It gets, a, gets across the point that I was trying to make. <laughs> That you and I have been saved from much. Our littlest of sins keeps us separated from this perfect and holy God. And because God is so loving, he has forgiven us completely. And we as Christians have no right to live lives where we refuse to forgive others. And Jesus challenges the religious heart that refuses to forgive. So we started that off talking about how Jesus wants to undo unforgiveness. We talked about how Jesus wants to undo hollow worship. And it's this idea of, well, I'm just singing the songs to get to the sermon. And if I show up a few songs late, it doesn't matter because the, the songs are not what's important. It's the preaching of God's word. That's the important thing. I've, I've heard this time and time and time again where we worship in order to prepare our hearts for the Bible, for the, for the word of God, for the sermon. We worship to prepare our hearts for the sermon. That's not biblical. We preach the word of God to transform your heart to make you a better worshiper. That's biblical. In fact, my job as a preacher is temporary. In heaven, I'm out of work. Because Jesus won't need me to proclaim him. He will proclaim himself. He will reveal himself in his full glory. I'm out of work. I'm scrubbing toilets in heaven. They're going to be made of gold and they don't smell. So that's awesome. I don't know if that's in the Bible. That's just my picture of heaven. Okay. But um, the worship team have a job forever and ever and ever. Because worship is eternal. Everything that the church does on earth is temporary. Benevolence, helping the poor, caring for people, studying the word of God, preaching, all the stuff we do, everything is temporary except worship. The only thing that's going to carry on for eternity. So if you find worship, you better start figuring it out because we're going to be doing it for a long time. We also talked about how Jesus wants to undo spiritual pride. It's that little thing that creeps into our hearts going, wow, look how good our church is doing. Wow, we got it all together. We're growing. We're thriving. We're merging churches. We got it, you know, our stuff together. Wow, look how good we are. You know what Jesus does with people like that? Smacks them silly. You know, he has no place for this spiritual pride and this spiritual arrogance. We do things better. We understand the word of God better. We, we, we. It's like, no, 
Jesus' harshest words were to religious leaders who were incredibly prideful of their own spirituality. We saw Jesus wants to undo greed. Jesus wants to undo hypocrisy. He wants to undo the shame that we live with in our lives. He wants to undo the indifference in our lives. He wants to undo fear. And we have two more messages in this series that we're going to do. And then after we're done this, it's Advent, which is crazy to me. Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve. And we're going to go through an Advent series, and we're going to look at the key themes of Advent. We're going to look at hope and joy and peace and love, the themes of Advent each week, and how those are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The problem as a preacher is uh, Christmas sermons bore me, because it's the same text every year, and it's the same sermon every year. And people go, oh, you just cut and paste. Well, that feels like cheating, because I get paid the same amount that week, whether I cut and paste or whether I write something new. So I feel like I'm cheating if I just, you know, take last year's Christmas message. So I got to keep it fresh for me and make it interesting for me. So we're going to do what we've, we normally do in the summer when summertime we do at the movies. Well, we're going to do at the movies Christmas edition. Okay. And we're going to take a bunch of popular Christmas movies and look at the theme of hope, joy, peace, and love, but through the text of the Bible and through movies to help us tell the story. And yes, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is one of them for those of you who've asked. I love that movie, especially when the cat eats the electrical cord and explodes. I like electricity jokes for me are hilarious. When people get zapped by electricity, it's the funniest thing ever. You want to make a good movie? Just have people hit by electricity through the whole thing. Anyways, next week, to conclude this series, we're going to talk about something that is of the utmost importance for you as a follower of Jesus. And we're going to talk about how Jesus has come to undo bondage. That Jesus has come to undo the bondage that we have to sin. I talk to too many Christians and the attitude about the sin in their lives is, well, this is just who I am. Or this is the way God made me. Or this is the way I'm, all, I'm always going to have this. That's not biblical. Jesus has come to set us free from the power of sin and death in our lives. And so we're going to look at that topic next week. Today, I want to talk about something that because I've been off for the last three Sundays, people from the first service are like, holy smokes. That was the response from the first service. That was the feedback. Holy smokes. That's what happens when you're off for three weeks. I'm ready to preach. And I've been sitting on this. I wrote this three weeks ago, and this has been stirring in my heart and in my mind for three weeks. And I want to talk today about private faith, that Jesus has come to undo private faith. You see, um, I don't know when this started. Maybe it started in the 1930s, the 1920s. At some point, North American Western culture as civilized and dignified people, in order to keep the peace, made the decision to make certain topics um, off limits. We don't talk about those things. You know what those are? Religion? We don't talk about religion. Politics? We don't talk about politics. Money? We don't talk about it. Sex? At some point, we made that. That's what proper people do. We don't talk about religion, politics, money, and sex. Fast forward... 100 years, 80 years, 75 years, whatever, whenever that started. And now our culture is a complete and total mess when it comes to religion, politics, money, and sex. We have no clue how to talk about 
any of those things in a civilized manner without freaking out and getting triggered and getting angry and going online and this person send. You know, it's like we've lost our minds on those four topics. So when we talk about the idea of faith, in the evangelical Christian movement, the language that we have used for the last 50 years that I'm aware of is you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I understand that the meaning behind that is that it had to be real. It had to be intimate. It had to be close. We turned that statement of a personal relationship with Jesus into you need to have a private relationship with Jesus. You need to have a private relationship with Jesus. Don't talk about it. Keep it to yourself. That's between you and Jesus. The problem is Jesus came to undo a private faith. So I want us to look at Matthew chapter 5. This is some of Jesus' most famous teaching. And just to set the context of it a little bit, is Jesus is directing this text, all of this teaching that he does through Matthew chapter 5, going all the way into chapter 6, all the way into chapter 7, all of this teaching, he is speaking to disciples. He's speaking to the men and women, the boys and girls who have chosen to follow Jesus. That is who he's talking to. But we see here in verse 1 is that there's also a crowd. The crowds have gathered to hear Jesus teaching. Now, in the crowd, you have different types of people. In the crowd, you have the skeptic, who's not too sure what to believe. You have the curious, that are trying to figure things out. And you also have the enemies of God. You have the skeptic, you've got the curious, and you've got the enemies, that are all hearing this teaching. But Jesus' words are to followers, to disciples. People who've chosen to follow him. And that's an important context because sometimes we get this wrong. And we sometimes we use the words of Jesus to talk to the skeptic, to, talk, to tell the curious, to tell the enemy what they should do. But Jesus isn't doing that. He's speaking to me. If you're here today or if you're watching this online and you're a follower of Jesus, he's talking to you. If you're here today and you're a skeptic, listen and hear what he's saying to us. If you're here today and someone dragged you here kicking and screaming, you hate church, you hate God, you hate everything about this place, I get it, I used to be you. Okay? Hated the church growing up, despised it. It was for dumb people, they were just trying to get my money. Okay? If you're an enemy, awesome. I love the fact that you're here. Just listen. But he's speaking to us as followers. And he's talking about our faith. And what he's talking about is he starts this off and he's talking about if you're being insulted. If people are mocking you, I just want you to think for a moment before we read the text. Have you ever been insulted? Now, I'm not talking the insults that brothers do growing up. If you've got a bunch of siblings, you know, your older sister used to pick on you. You know, oh, Kevin smells. You know, like I'm not talking that kind of insult. I'm talking like the public insult that's like an attack on your character. As I was reflecting on that, I, I remembered actually two incidences when this happened in my life. One was when I was still in the business world. 
Um, I used to travel all over the world. Um, I had implemented this computer system. I used to implement it and train people in our offices all across the world. And at some point, uh, one of our administrators in one of the cities in the U.S. decided they wanted my job. And because they were an administrator, they had access to the source code. They had access to all the files and everything that I developed. And they started copying it and rewriting it and putting their name on it. And then they started saying, well, Kevin is actually stealing money from the company. And he's doing all this traveling, and he's charging more, and he's stealing, and I could do it for cheaper, I could do it for better. And I was in my 20s, and I'm like, this came out of left field, I have no clue what's going on, I didn't know how to deal with this, and the internal stuff, and then suddenly my expense reports weren't being approved, and I was on the hook for having to pay money back. It was a nightmare as a young guy in my 20s. You know, and sometimes, you know, you might be hearing that story, you go, man, well, good thing the church isn't like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes it is. And I've actually had in my Christian experience, I actually, uh, and this is actually quite recent, where someone just didn't like me. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I think I'm pretty likable, but... Someone just said he's not a real pastor. He doesn't fit the mold. He doesn't fit the box of what we believe a pastor should be. He didn't grow up in a Christian home. He, you know, didn't, you know, get saved at youth camp. He didn't uh, go to Bible college and is, you know, as a teen. He didn't do this. He didn't become a youth pastor first. And there was this whole allegations against me. And they started speaking badly about Greenbelt and Greenbelt's decision to bring me on. They started speaking badly about me at our seminary within our fellowship. And it was just. Where is this coming from? <laughs> and, and again, not knowing how to respond and, and not how do you love and how do you deal with all of this. So this happens. And, it, and you are probably thinking of a time when this could have happened in your work, your relationships and things like that, too. It's like for some reason, people just they, they just get it in and they just have it against you. <laughs> and the insults come and the mocking comes. And if you're anything like me, my default is not to fight. <laughs> My default is to flight. It's to pull back. It's like in my career in the computer industry, it was like, fine, if this person wants my job, I guess they could have it. I didn't know how to deal with it, so I'm just going to do my job. I'm just going to get my paycheck. Eventually, I'm going to get fired. I'm probably going to have to pay this Amex bill back and somehow figure out. But I'm just just done fighting. I'm just going to just pull back. Same thing in the ministry situation. I stopped going to to association meetings, I stopped going to the fellowship meetings, I just I just don't know how to deal with this, I'm just going to stay over here. <laughs> because that's what insults do, right? They hurt. <laughs> when people don't like us, it hurts. <laughs> and Jesus speaks to followers, specifically about their faith, <laughs> when the world comes attacking. <laughs> so let's read what he says here, starting in verse 11. Jesus says this to disciples, to his followers. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. 
You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Blessed are you, follower of Jesus, when people insult you. Blessed are you when you're persecuted, when you're falsely accused. That's hard to get your brain around because we don't think that way. You know, when I think of a blessed life, the blessed life is when everything is going great. When I'm healthy, I'm hashtag blessed. When I'm not, not eating so much McDonald's and I'm eating salad and proteins and I'm doing my morning shake and I'm exercising a little bit, hashtag blessed. Whoop. Okay, when there's money in the bank, woo, blessed. When there's extra money in the bank, I, I did the budgeting wrong. I never do this where you pay the bill twice, one month, and then the next month you get your bill statement, it's zero. Yeah. Yeah, because you idiot, you paid your hydro bill twice last month. Get your finances in order, you know. Blessed. <laughs> You know, you go on Instagram and search hashtag blessed. You're going to see cars. You're going to see trips. You're going to see vacations, sitting by the pool, having a nice glass of wine. You're not going to see someone, you know, being bullied in school for their faith. Going hashtag blessed. You're not going to see someone persecuted on Instagram going hashtag blessed. But that's what Jesus, our worldview of what blessed means is messed up. When Jesus uses the word blessed, the Greek here means to have favor with God. You find favor with God. God has a special place in his heart for those who are persecuted, for those who are insulted for those who are made fun of, for those who are mocked, those who are falsely accused, because God has a special place in his heart for those men and women and boys and girls, you can rejoice and be glad that you have found favor in God's heart. This is what Jesus is driving at. That's why his list beforehand is all these things that none of us would want. None of us would want to be poor in spirit. None of us want to mourn. None of us want to be meek. None of us want to hunger. None of us want, you know, want to live lives where we're not receiving mercy. But God's heart for those people is you have found favor with God when you're in those situations. When people insult us because of our faith, we're blessed. I remember when I became a Christian in my late 20s, you know, I didn't. I grew up kind of in a mainline Christian faith. Thought the the church was a scam. Uh, church leaders were the meanest, cruelest people I ever met. My school. I used to have to put my hand on a table and I'd get whacked with a ruler in the name of God because I didn't know how to sit still. I still don't. <laughs> sure, glad our elders don't make me whack me with a ruler, you know, or anything like that, you know. But um, I despised it. Had no place for it in my life. And uh, read a Bible for myself, 
to disprove the existence of God. I was spiritually prideful, which was one of our topics in this series. I was going to be the guy very upset with me. Good friends who were incredibly important to me. I've never spoken to since 20 years. Stop talking to me. Block me on all social media. Want nothing to do with me. And it hurts. It doesn't feel good. But you're blessed. <laughs> you can rejoice. <laughs> rejoice and be glad. And it's interesting because the teachings of Jesus on this topic is, you know, this idea of rejoicing, being glad. It's, this isn't just some Christian phrase that we say to one another to make ourselves feel better. It's because the hope that we have is not in the response of people around us. The, the hope that we have as followers of Jesus is when he says, in this world, you will have many troubles. Take heart. I've overcome the world. That's our hope. That's why we can rejoice. This discomfort of living a faith that people notice is temporary when it comes to eternity. It's a little bit of discomfort for great joy. And so, but Jesus in this text, he's calling disciples, he's calling followers of Jesus to live lives that are radically counter-cultural. And that wasn't just for his culture in, this de- in his day. He's still calling followers of Jesus to live lives that are counter-cultural. Right? He talks about being salt and talks about being light. Like he says in verse uh, 13, you, follower of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. Salt is something that can preserve things. It's things that make things tastier. It makes it better. Because you are here, follower of Jesus, because you are in this world, you preserve certain things. You make certain things taste better. And he says, but what happens when you, Christian, what happens when you, church, lose your saltiness? Is that a word? Yeah, I think so. When you're no longer salty. Jesus says, you're no longer good for anything. Ouch! It's the words of Jesus. If you're not salty as a follower of Jesus, what are you doing? If a church isn't salty, what's it doing? It doesn't fit anything. It's no longer good for anything. When he talks about being light in the world, he says, you, follower of Jesus, you are a light in this world. And he compares it to taking this light and then putting it under a bowl. Think of it like all the Christians going to their church building and hiding what we do in our building. You know, we sing some songs. We have a Baptist potluck, which are the best potlucks in any denomination. Okay? It's awesome. That's why I've gained 50 pounds since I went into ministry. Okay? But if we hide it, Jesus says this is useless. That's not why we've been saved. It's not why God created the church. We're salt. We're light. The idea of a private faith 
Jesus wants to undo that and make our faith very public. And so the big idea that I'm going to continue to unpack is this idea that what Jesus is teaching, I believe, is that a private faith is of little value to God. A private faith that saves us and gets us into heaven is good for us, but it's of little value to God in the grand scheme of things. He's happy you're coming in, but God has bigger plans than just that. I mean, look at what the Jesus, I'm going to look at another saying of Jesus here. You don't have to turn your Bible there. It'll be on the screen. But Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus takes this stuff very seriously. Look what he says. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory, comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He's talking about this time when Jesus returns to set up his eternal kingdom. He's going to come with the armies of God. And he's going to look at the hearts of every single human being. And he's going to say, those of you who were ashamed of me and ashamed of my word, I'm kind of ashamed of you. <laughs> that that's the way you lived your life. <laughs> you lived this private faith. right? This idea of being ashamed. It's this idea when it comes to our faith, when it comes to the teachings of Jesus. Well, I feel like if I really embrace this, people are going to think I'm a failure. Or I'm worried about what people are going to think about me in the public, like public exposure. I just want to kind of keep that to a minimum. You know, I don't want to deal with embarrassment or social rejection. I don't want to deal with ridicule. Well, Jesus says, if you're worrying about those things, he's not overly impressed. He wants us to move beyond those things. Jesus wants to undo a private faith. One of the things that I do a lot is um, I like to read um, the news and I like to read social media just to get keep a pulse uh, on, on what's going on in our country, in our city. And over the last couple of months, I don't know if you do this and read this stuff that I read, but over the last couple of months, um, the church has not gotten a lot of good press <laughs> the last few months <laughs> It's been actually quite hostile and quite negative. Um, Charles Taylor is a professor of philosophy at McGill University, and uh, he wrote this recently about the state of faith in, in Canada. He said, We are currently dealing with the illegality of religious garb in public service. So we're dealing with that in the province of Quebec. Um, we're dealing with the denial of convictional Christian education. So we've seen that play out at Trinity Western where they wanted to start a law program and it was rejected because of the Christian values that they were trying to hold the students to. Um, we are beginning to see the denial of Christian charitable funding when Christian organizations were applying to the Canadian summer job program and couldn't check off the little box that they were pro-choice. So they were refused funding. We are beginning to see the denial of adoption for Christians the family in Aurelia was refused on the sole basis of their Christian faith. We're seeing in the province of Quebec the removal of charitable status for churches and church buildings. And just this past week, our own fellowship made national news for bringing church discipline to a member who was living a lifestyle that scripture goes against, that speaks against. And now the process has begun in Ontario to remove charitable status 
from churches. You see, 20 years ago, this is so light and fluffy, I get it, right? Wow, okay? 20 years ago, we as the church believed that if we got rid of the pews, like we get rid of the wooden chairs and bring in comfortable chairs, people will like us. (laughs) And 20 years ago, we said, well, if we change the boring background and we make the background really cool, people will like us. And people, you know, 20 years ago, we thought, well, if we bring in the devil's instrument, you know, (laughs) drums, and we stop singing in four-part harmonies, and we take out the hymnals, people will like us. Guess what? All of those things are cosmetic. We never changed what we believe. And the world is starting to hear what we believe, and they don't like it. We believe that this is the perfect, infallible word of God. That it corrects us, that it rebukes us, that it points us to righteousness that is found only in Jesus Christ. We don't believe this is just one book of many that you can pick. We believe it is divine. The world thinks that's nuts. We believe that Jesus is the only way to God the Father. See, when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no, but as long as you're sincere with all your other beliefs. (laughs) It doesn't say that. (laughs) We believe Jesus is the only way to God the Father. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. We believe he lived a sinless life, the only human in history to do it because he was fully God and fully man. We believe he went to a cross and the full wrath of God against sin was put on him. We believe he rose from the dead. That's nuts. We believe he ascended back to heaven. And he is at the right hand of God, speaking on our behalf. When God wants to look at our sin, Jesus says, no, she's mine. And all God sees is the righteousness of Christ in your life. And we believe Jesus will return physically and create a new heaven and a new earth and will reign victorious for eternity. Chairs aren't going to hide that message. Cool lights and PowerPoint, the devil's instruments, all this is not going to fix this anymore. Comfortable chairs are not going to make people feel comfortable in a message like this. So we have a choice. Hide. Be private. Or step forward in faith. And be public. I have to make a choice. What am I going to do here from this pulpit on Sunday morning? Am I going to play it safe? Make sure I don't offend anybody? Make sure I don't say the wrong thing? Offend the wrong group? Because it would be awesome. It would make a great headline have the RCMP show up and arrest me one Monday morning, wouldn't it? That's my pastor! (laughs) It's coming. It will happen. And if it's going to happen someplace first, why not the nation's capital? And 
I always joke with my friends, my atheist friends. I say, just watch, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to get arrested. But I'd rather get arrested for something that I believe to the fundamental heart is true than getting arrested for something stupid, like having too many unpaid parking tickets. Like, that just seems dumb. Pay your parking ticket. Like, that doesn't seem so complicated to me, you know? But this, this is the challenge. This is the world. And it's not about going to battle with the world or anything like that, because I firmly believe as the world gets darker, the light of Jesus will shine brighter. So we have to make a choice. Are we going to have a private faith that Jesus says is no longer good for anything? Or are we going to be public with our faith so that people will see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven? It's a choice for all of us to make. And I think this important choice to make is just want to share a little bit quickly on what private faith does to us. This isn't in the text. This comes from my experience as a pastor. As I shepherd people and counsel people and guide them, don't worry, I'm not telling anybody's story. I kind of take different pieces of the story and make up a person when I tell this stuff. But just from my pastoral experience, what does a private faith create? Well, the first thing that it creates, it creates people, Christians, who don't speak when they should speak. How many of you have opportunities all the time to talk about things of faith. They just seem to show up. See, and what's really funny, in because I'm a pastor and because I talk about Jesus pretty much every single day, there's a little part of me, a little part, when I'm on vacation, it's like, okay, God, whew, I'm on vacation. I don't have to talk about things of faith. <laughs> because I do it all week long. It's my job. You know, it's, again, it's that weird job church thing all at the same time. So I want to go on vacation. And don't look at me like that. You do it too. Okay, you do it too. I don't want to read my Bible when I'm on vacation. I don't want to pray. I don't want to go go to church. We all do it. We're human, right? Well, isn't that when God brings more people into my life to speak to and to share with and talk to? It's the times when I don't want to do it. But a private faith removes opportunities to do that. God wants to use you. God wants, you don't have to convince people and trick people and do apologetics and, you know, and trick them and all that kind of stuff or outthink them. God just wants you to be authentic and real with them and share what God is doing in your life. But a private faith kills those conversations. Another thing that a private faith will do is it will make Christians who just go along with the crowd. Talk to so many people who, when they they want to meet with me, they I usually because the way of our care structure is work works here at the church. We want everyone in a small group because we believe congregational care happens within the context of friendship and relationship. I, I don't meet with everybody. I, I don't counsel everybody. It's really done through the groups, and then Danielle and I get the cases that are too big for groups to handle. Um, so that means I get all the really good ones. <laughs> You know, the train wrecks, the marriages that are collapsing, like, like the, the, we get like hard stuff that people are dealing with and we come alongside, we love to come alongside people dealing with big hurt. But most of the big hurt that we're dealing with is because we're making choices as if we weren't Christian. We're living lives, we say we believe in Jesus, but we're living lives that would show something radically different. <laughs> Attitudes and lifestyles and beliefs and all of these things and then it, then it leads to the train wreck. Because we're going to be private about this. We're not going to really embrace this. We're just keeping it at a certain safe Christianity. (laughs) So when we keep our faith private, it seems like we're following the crowd because everyone else around us, their lives are a train wreck too. (laughs) Right? And so we just fit right in. But God calls us to walk a different path. 
And then finally, what a private faith does is it uh, ultimately um, makes us ignore the needs of other people. A private faith becomes about our comfort and our, how am I blessed? How am I, how am I being fed? How am I being nurtured? How am I being discipled? Me, 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 me. And one of the things that we believe is that every single human being on the planet, all seven billion of them, have an eternal destiny. And that eternal destiny is either to be fully embraced in the love of God for all time or to be separated from the love of God in a place of darkness, of weeping, and evil. We believe that. (laughs) We believe that. And when our faith is private, and we're doing our own little private life, we're all reading our own little Bible studies, and we're doing our private life, we turn our back on the world, and basically what we're saying to them is, you can go to hell. It's harsh, but that's what a private faith creates. It's good enough for me, it's good enough for me to go to heaven, but you can go to hell. And Jesus wants to undo that. So how do we undo that? Well, thankfully, it's not in our own strength, but it's in the strength that God gives us that we can undo a private faith. Jesus talks about this. He he says this to his disciples, talks about this time that's coming when it's not going to be popular for you to be a Christian. It's not going to be popular for you to proclaim the word of God. He says this to his disciples. When they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, it'll be given to you. For you will not be speaking, but the spirit of your your father speaking through you. The same power that was in the apostles, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, is in every one of us who have said we will follow Jesus. When we give our hearts and our lives to him. It's that power that works in us to turn our faith from private to public. But there's some steps along the way that we can do. And very quickly, I just want to share three things. If you're struggling with this idea of a private faith, I don't want to just say, hey, have a great week. (laughs) Figure it out on your own. I want to shepherd you and pastor you through how you can do it. You have to ask yourself three questions. First question is, am I following Jesus? And the question's very specific. I'm not asking you, do you believe in Jesus? I'm asking you, are you following Jesus? There's a difference. And the difference is this. Satan and the demons believe in Jesus. I'm not saying you're a devil. Okay. But the enemy believes in Jesus. The difference is, are you following Jesus? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, we don't obey to earn favor with God. That was freely given. We obey because of the free gift of salvation we've received out of our love. One example that comes up all the time with people is baptism. Well, pastor, I don't want to get baptized because I don't want to speak in front of everybody because I don't want anyone to see what I say or feel what I believe. And then I'm going to keep it private. Jesus says publicly get baptized. Not for me. Disobedient was the first thing he asked us to do. And then you're surprised that he's not blessing anything else. Right? It's just one of many examples where we choose. Jesus said, take care of widows and orphans. Eh, no. 
Jesus said to be generous. Blessed are those who give. <laughs> no, no. It's just again and again and again, all these things of Jesus. No, no, no. So you have to ask, am I following Jesus? Am I following? Second question to ask is, is there anything about my faith that causes me to be ashamed of the word of God? Jesus doesn't have a problem with our doubt and our wrestling with the Bible. Jesus has a problem with our ignoring it. There's a lot of stuff where this creates tension with the modern world that we live in today. And we could ignore it. We could um, just go with the flow and just say, ah, it doesn't really mean that. It's not applicable, yada, 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 all these different things. But if there's something in here that you're ashamed of, wrestle with it. Talk to people about it. Work through it. You know, we, and we make so many resources available for that. Like whether that's in your life group, you can talk about it there. We have a partnership with this thing called Right Now Media, where there's 10,000 online Bible study videos available for you for free on every single topic under the sun. So you can go through, watch some of these videos and learn and grow. Wrestle with this. If there's something that you're oh, just struggling with, stuff of gender and marriage and leadership and all, all these things that we're wrestling with as the church today. Dive in. It's fun. It actually is. Don't be a jerk about it. Don't go in fighting people. Love, mercy, joy, peace, all of those things. Keep them. But we can work through these things. And then finally, ask yourself, are your good deeds visible to non-Christians? Because that's the point that Jesus is making here. Your salt, your light, does anybody notice? They should see a difference of the Christian serving compared to all the other people in the world doing good stuff. Because there's a lot of great organizations doing great things. But that's all temporary and won't last. It's something about the Christian is supposed to be different because it's empowered by the Spirit of God. And people are supposed to notice the difference. So am I truly following the teachings of Jesus? Is there anything where I'm struggling in my faith that causes me to feel ashamed? Work through it. And do people notice that I'm different? I believe to the core of my being, that Greenbelt's greatest days are not behind us. Our church is 48 years old. I've heard amazing stories of stuff that's happened in the past. Great stuff. Amazing moves of God. And I don't believe those were our greatest days. They were awesome, but I truly believe our greatest days are yet to come. As we live in a culture in a world where we can't just change the chairs, can't just change the lights, because people are going to really know what we believe, really know what we believe. And as we do that in a spirit of truth and humility and love and patience and all the fruit of the Spirit that God empowers his church to live by, and we live a public faith, it'll change lives. It'll reach new people. It'll have an impact in this city that we couldn't even imagine. So I'm excited to take that step all together as a church family, to move out of our private faith 
and let the world see what we truly believe. Let's pray.